This will be on specifically, I think the best, uh, the best way to go is if you have questions particularly about the functioning of the church, about the, uh, the, the functioning of what, what the church should look like, what our relationship to one another should look like, um, those are the most pertinent questions, but I'm sure Alex is happy to answer any other questions as well. Um, and what we'll do is, if you state your question, I'm going to restate it because it'll be recorded, and then Alex will have the fun part of answering. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. Well, why don't we open in prayer? George? <laughs> good. Let's we had a wonderful time we'll, uh, yesterday. Or we'll yes. he'll open in prayer. <laughs> yes. All right, let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, discuss your word, discuss your church. You love your church so much, and you've called us to do the same. We thank you for bringing Alex to us this morning and, and this whole last weekend. Uh, we pray that this time would be profitable and that it would be ultimately worshipful to you and exalting to your son, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Do you have anything you want to say before we start with the, the questions? I haven't thought about it, so... <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, let's do this then. Um, I, just to get us warmed up, I'm going to ask the first question. First and then, question. And then after that, uh, you guys can, can weigh in, and I'll repeat the question for the recording. Um, first question, just broad general basis. If you could just discuss what you think are the top two or three things that really contribute to healthy church functioning... That, that make a church healthy and thriving, two or three things. I know that there's a hundred, but uh, the things that are on your heart, that would be a great place to Well, start. Uh, our whole conference yesterday was about this. If you were listening, I don't know. Um, I'm just joking. I have to. You have to keep them humble. That's my That's ministry. Right. Keeping ministers hungry. That's right. Now, uh, we, we spoke yesterday. Why don't you take your Bibles and look at Revelation chapter 2. And this actually is a burden on my heart. Now, you know, um, uh, speakers have messages they give, right? Or sermons they give. Uh, But this is not a sermon. This is a a message I have. And um, the message is, what is the spirit of the church? And I got this from Revelation chapter 2, where the Lord uh, speaks to the church in Ephesus. And he says, wow, you're a good church. I know your works. Verse 2, 2, 2. Revelation 2, 2, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil and have uh, tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. I know you uh, endured patiently. Well, look at this. This is a good church. This is a healthy church, Steve. Sound doctrine works. They witness for the Lord, suffer persecution. These are all good things, commendable things. But then the Lord says this. Here's why this passage is so important. This passage is talking to churches like ours. Talking to churches that are very proud of sound doctrine, very proud of doing things right, uh, very uh, proud about our our, um, faithfulness to the scriptures or working hard. But he says, I have this against you. The love you first had, you have forsaken it. So what our Lord is doing is identifying the spirit of the church that is deficient, love deficiency. That was the disease. So 
I would say a very important thing is what is the spirit of the church? And the Lord tells us it must be that fervent first love. Now turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And I didn't get to say too much about this yesterday. Philippians chapter 2. Now, let me just say this. Steve, this is a good church. Another good church. In fact, this church was a favorite of Paul's. He said it brought great joy. In fact, this church was very unusual. It was a generous church. He said, from the very beginning, you shared with me in the gospel. And he says, when I uh, left you and uh, went to Thessalonica, no other church shared in the gospel and giving and receiving but you. This was a generous, financially concerned church for the gospel. And this letter comes out of Paul in prison, and they send Epaphroditus, and they send money again. It brought great joy to him. But in this really, really good church, the seeds of discourse were there. Oh, you better be careful. Where are the elders here? Grant? Steve, where, where's the other brother? Mark, where's Mark? He, oh, I was afraid you missed church this morning. <laughs> you be careful, men. The little seeds get sown. Little seeds get sown. Little bad feelings, little hurt feelings, uh, uh, murmuring, uh, tailbearing, and all of a sudden you got a full explosion. Something like that is here, and he even calls out two ladies' names. Maybe they were fighting over the Sunday school material. I don't know. Or probably whether the church should have drums or not have drums. That's, that's a big one. You know. And the seed was there. It's not as bad as Corinth, but the root is there, and it's starting to grow and flourish. And so he says, now listen, I'm going to give you the secret to a healthy church. Here it is. Are you with me? Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. That was probably the problem. Over in chapter 2, verse 14, murmuring. Do you see that? Don't do anything out of pride or selfishness, basically. The two twin sisters of all discord. At the heart of all discord and division is pride and selfishness. You know, it's very hard to argue with humble people. Now, once you notice what he says here. Uh, This is the spirit of the church. Let each of you look, excuse me, verse 3. Do nothing, nothing out of rivalry and conceit, but in humility, key word of this passage, count others more significant than yourselves. That's what humility does. Now, this uh, verse 4 explains, verse 3 expands upon it. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. That's the key phrase, because that explains what it means, count others more significant than yourself. How do you really count others more significant than yourself? Well, you think of their needs, their advantage, and don't get preoccupied with yourself. Now, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves corporately, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So let me, let me give you an illustration. You know the illustration. I'll apply it to this passage. You have a room with a thousand pianos. And you're going to tune one piano to the next piano to the next piano. And what's going to happen, Steve? They're going to be out of tune real soon. Eventually. Eventually. Real fast, actually. But if you take a thousand pianos and bing, you have a tuning fork. And all the pianos tune themselves to that fork. They're all in perfect tune, right? So what Paul is saying is this. All of you. Tune your attitude to Christ. And if everyone tunes their attitude to Christ, you will do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit. You will, in humility, 
Think of the advantage of others and the interest of others and the good of others above your own. Because that's Christ's attitude who actually gave himself for us in death, the death, humiliating death of the cross. So I'm saying this to you and I'm saying it in all seriousness because things are going well in your church, but Satan has to attack. He, he has to come and ruin this. He has to. And it'll probably be something like this. Good people, really good people start going at each other. And then all of a sudden everyone lines up on sides. So I'm saying this to you. What is the spirit of this church? Is that the humble seeking of the, the mind of Christ that is in all of us, all tuned to the mind of Christ? Is it that fervent love that we had it in the first days? Uh, is that the spirit of your church? So you might have sound doctrine, but really have a very uh, proud church, a contentious church, stingy church. So as leaders, I would call you out to always examine the spirit of a church and don't, don't deceive yourself. Everything's going great, but under the surface, it is not. Know the flock and know the spirit of the church. Now, it's very interesting. I walked in here yesterday for the conference and I walked through the front door and it was in seconds. It's really amazing. I, I sensed it right away. In seconds... Not minutes. Sometimes it's minutes. I felt the joy and the excitement and the enthusiasm of the group in seconds. Isn't that isn't that amazing? I, I felt it right away. I had people, you know, like locusts just descend upon me, you know. <laughs> and uh, the the special care you gave me was, was very unusual. Felt a little guilty about it, but I got used to it very quickly. <laughs> so people will walk through that door. <clears throat> And maybe it'll take 10 minutes or 15 minutes. They'll know more about you than you know, because you're used to being here. And they'll sense, this is a really exciting place to be. There's great joy here. There's generosity. There's care here, prayer and care, and love for one another. And nothing draws like love. So sound doctrine, which I know you will be a sound doctrinal church. Sound doctrine must always be balanced with sound spirit. They go together. You cannot separate them. Because I know churches that are sound in doctrine and they're soundly asleep. They're as cold as ice. So I would say the first thing is, what is the spirit of this church like? And uh, ask other people. I heard of a church that did this. I thought it was very clever. They asked some people who had not gone to their church. They said, if you will come to our church on a Sunday morning, we will take you out and send you out to a nice dinner. We want you to tell us what you see. Because we're used to it. And they did that several times what do other people see in us so you might ask that of others so i think that's very important i'm not going to bring up sound doctrine because i know you will be sound in doctrine i know the elders will be sound in doctrine i know that so i'm thinking of things that are particularly interesting to you another uh, interesting to me uh the first thing is a sound spirit the, the right orthopraxis the other thing i would say and it goes along with this, of course, is that you are a church of prayer and care. I like that term, prayer and care, that you really do care for one another. I call it the one anothering, right? Many one another commands. And all the one another commands really are under the overarching command, which is what? Love one love another. 
the new commandment, the new commandment. So underneath the new commandment, care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, teach one another. It's a wonderful thing to come to a church where people are really, really concerned about one another. Someone goes to the hospital, someone faces cancer, lots of letters come in, phone calls, visits. People really care, really care. And they fulfill needs. Boy, that's a wonderful thing. It's real easy to play church. So black evangelist, and I've known him for years, I did his funeral. Sam Dalton traveled to thousands of churches at evangelists. And I would say to him, he said, I say, Sam, where were you? And he says, such and such a church. I said, how was the church? He says, going through the motions. Going through the motions. Like dumb sheep, you know. Just going through the motions, Sunday morning, show up to church. But it's got to be more than that. It has to be a real community. Caring, praying community. And again, it draws people. It's a lot of work. It means you've got to turn the TV off. It means you have to put up some of your pleasures. And it means time for other people. When you hear an announcement made that brother so-and-so has to go to the hospital, you write it right down, get your pen out, and you write it down, you say, we're going to get a card. By the way, cards are so important. I can't tell you how important this is. There was a man in our church, he was dying of cancer. It was a long, prolonged cancer. It was a horrible, horrible situation. She died after, soon after. It was just terrible. But one day I went to visit him. His name was Pat, and I went to visit his house, and he rearranged his house, and he had a, his wall. It took everything off his wall, the big main, main wall in the living room, and he had cards, hundreds of cards on it. And he turned his big, giant, easy chair to face the wall. He had a TV over here. And I said, Pat, what in the world are you doing? He said, I need to look at those cards every day. Because every one of those cards is a person praying for me. And he said this to me, very interesting. Some of those cards I've read over and over and over. Now, sometimes we men, we're, we're not really good at this. So I, I get my wife and my secretary to help me because I'm not good at it. And I say, when I hear of a need or a problem, there's one lady dying in our church. Every week we send a card. She doesn't want a lot of visits. She's, she's just too, in too much pain. And she says, so we have to respect that. I'd love to visit her. I visit her once, but she just asked for that. And there's a, a personal problems, too, with uh, some of the chemotherapy was done to her. So that's fine. But every week, we committed to writing a letter. Now, in this, we put verses, and I write the verses out. And knowing from Brother Pat, he would go over and over those letters. So I want to tell you, when you hear of a need or a problem, a little note, even if it's a short note. And then our elders do this. Every week in the elders' meeting, we send out two notes. Thanking musicians, thanking Sunday school teachers, thanking kitchen workers. And we just write a note. I always write a verse. Get a verse like when I'm reading my Bible and I find cool verses I like. I, I write them so I, I, I share those. Like, let me give you a verse. Can I show you one? Yes. Am I going too long? You're going as long as you want. We can go till 1030. No, but I mean, am I taking too long on the question? It, Are you bitter? That's what I want to know. <laughs> No bitterness. No, this is a wonderful, wonderful, sweet man. I just want to show you a verse. Yeah, Psalm sixteen eight. I've used this verse a lot. Psalm sixteen eight. Just look at that with me. Um, this is the kind of verse uh, that does help people. So I wrote this uh, this week to another man. And uh, I'll write, praying for you, love you. And I write out the verse. I don't just put the reference. So here's a good verse. Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. 
Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Isn't that a lovely verse? He's at my right hand. He's right there. I will not be shaken by cancer. I will not be shaken by a big major operation to scare the wits out of you. I will not be shaken by the tragedy that just happened. Just had a man in our church, a four-year-old son drowned. Oh, gosh, in the papers and everything. He was by the lake, and he went over to his car to get some. came back, couldn't see the child. He went running all over. Child drowned. Whew, that hurts. So something like this, people cling to it. So uh, you could even have a ministry, like we have uh, for our shut-ins. We have a place in the back with the, uh, the cards, with the addresses and the stamps and everything on it. So to encourage our people to write to shut-ins. Man said to me one day, a very, very godly man, been an elder for years, and then they went through hard, hard times. A Job experience, which is not going to end undoubtedly. And complete ruin of health, complete ruin of finances. He had been a pilot for 35 years, lost everything in the United scandal, uh, bankruptcy. And uh, ruined health, both of them. And... uh, couldn't show up to their church much because they were so sick. And he said to me over lunch one day, he's not in our church. He said, you know, out of sight, out of mind, you don't show up to church four or five weeks, they forget you. And I thought, well, that's a good lesson. He's just shut in. So we have a special place with cards. All you've got to do is take the card and sign it. Everything's done for you. We don't want the shut-ins forgotten. Nova lady, eight years shut in. Eight years, 11 years shut in. Not one visit. They prayed for her every Wednesday night, though. They did. She's on the, the prayer list. Yeah. Not one visit in 11 years. Hmm. I don't think the Lord really cared about those prayers. So, uh, a caring, a real caring church. And that means self-sacrifice. And even you young people, a lot of young people back there. I know you turned me off. You said, that's the old people's job. But you know how, do you know how wonderful it is when you as young people come up to older people like Steve here and just put your hand out and say hi and get their names. Is there, are some of you the young people leaders? Where's the young people's leaders? Okay, we'll pray for you. Teach them, teach them to love older people and serve older people. Uh, there's a man in our church. He died at 102. It's an amazing man. Had his mind right to the last second. And unlike most 102-year-old people, I uh, didn't just talk about his aches and pains all the time. One talk about newest commentary, newest book you're reading. <laughs> amazing, just amazing. A great example. So anyway, he goes in, he's in California visiting. He goes to a church, and he knows what it's like to be 100 years old. And uh, young people see it, and they look away like, you know, this guy looks like Moses. <laughs> he goes to this church, and young people come right up to him and shake, shake his hand. I said, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> Young people caring about older people. Teach them to serve. Teach them to care. Maybe as a group, you're, you sign a letter. Someone's facing an operation. Teach them to care. They don't, Young people are totally self-centered. This is part of the, the normal human development. Uh, you know, they look in the mirror all day and wonder how they fit in the world, fit with peers. Uh, uh, totally normal. We're all that way. But as you mature, you hopefully uh, have a vision for others besides your own face and how you look and how people are perceiving you. So you have to teach them to get out of themselves and serve others, and they're much more healthy when they do that. So a caring church, uh, phone calls are very important. I think if you're a loving Christian, you're going to be making a lot of phone calls. I make phone calls all day to people I don't even uh, really have to call, but there's problems, there's issues, and uh, 
like even this morning, uh, I was praying for a certain people that are facing extreme crises. So even when I'm away, I don't, I don't like to forget. Sometimes I'll, I'll call while I'm away from home, and that, that really touches people's hearts. Phone calls. You can't go visit everyone. It's just impossible at times. So you pick up the phone. You say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. So be a praying, caring church. We talked about some of this yesterday, so I don't want to repeat things I, I went over. So no, I think, th- yeah, I, think I said start. enough. I mean, I only have five hours, so. <laughs> that's a good start. Rick, you have a question, and I'll repeat your question. Yes. I, I can't possibly repeat that question. Let me try, though. <laughs> is it, isn't, it a, doc, isn't it an oxymoron to say that the church is doctrinally sound but unloving? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, but uh, that makes sense to people. You're right. Sound doctrine is love. It's the new commandment. So, yes, you're absolutely right. So if you only have certain propositional uh, uh, theoretical doctrines and you do not have the spirit of those doctrines, it's James uh, chapter 1. You're only hearers. You're not doers. So, no, you, you are right. But I said it in that statement because that makes sense to people. And we've seen it. We've seen it. So I would say to a church that all it talks about is election and their fourth favorite subjects. You can go to some church, prophecy, 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 prophecy. Some churches, election, 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 election. Well, that, they're totally unbalanced. And they're usually fighting churches and conceited churches. Uh, that's not sound in doctrine. You're absolutely right. So sound doctrine should be what Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, uh, uh, 27, a very important verse. I gave you the whole counsel of God, not the little counsel, my hobby horse. So yes, if you're sound in doctrine, you're sound in life. Let's just look at Titus 1 for, real quickly. Titus 1 is very interesting. Titus chapter 1. Uh, notice this uh, in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus. This introduction is so profound, it's amazing. It's what Luther called the economy of words. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Now get this, the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Did you notice that? The knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Godly, as he means, is authentic Christian experience. It's living the truth out. So sound doctrine, the truth, unless it's just some abstract theoretical thing that's just in your brain, leads to godliness. It, the Christian life, the Christian life, the gospel is a life to be lived. It's a life to be lived, or else it is is never moved from your brain to your feet to your tongue, and to your behavior. So. The New Testament writers are not just concerned about some kind of theoretical, abstract types of philosophical thinking. It leads to godliness. It leads to a behavior, a lifestyle. That's good. Yeah. So you're not sound in doctrine if all you do is hobby horse on certain types of and a church can. It's a danger of a church becoming highly intellectualized where you come in here, high-powered lectures, and then you go home. I know a church like that. They actually have turned the church. Every room, has, every, every chair has a desk and everything like that. Just oh, hear the, the lecture for the day. And I've heard a lot of those lectures. They're actually pretty good lectures. The only problem is uh, that's where they'll stop at the lectures. And some people, the Bible's an interesting book. 
Some people love the history of the Bible, the languages of the Bible, the theology. It is an interesting book, but it can't be just an interesting intellectual exercise. It leads to godliness. So you're a transformed person that uh, is what Paul says, follow my example as I follow example of Christ. You should be able to say to people, watch me and follow me. Watch me and follow me. Okay. That's good. Brother has a... Go ahead, Dan. So the, the question is uh, the challenge of getting men to go into prison ministry and minister to the men there. Yes, well, we have a man full-time in our church. He's with actually um, Youth for Christ, the uh, juvenile division. And he has taken many, many, many of us into a jail. And uh, we do work with the set-free prison ministries. We have a number of our seniors working with that. Well, first of all, it's a very discouraging ministry. Um, you, don't, you don't get to see these people come to your church, most of them. Um, it's often an unseen ministry. You don't know what the future will be. So I can understand why people, and uh, sometimes people are scared of people like that. Uh, but there are very good ministries. Which ministry are you uh, related to? Uh, yeah, is that Chuck Colson's? No, he, he does it independently through our church. Oh, independently. He, he and two other guys. Okay. Go. Well, yeah. then you can uh, put prayer requests out to the church of people you're working with. If you get their prayer support, uh, special needs, let the church know. So this is an arm of the church, uh, a ministry of the church through you. Now, what you want to do is get to not get yourself discouraged because others don't want to get involved. So you have to be very careful of that danger. People get ministries in a church and others don't care about it, and then they get mad and at the church. So if you're the only person, fine. Let the church know what you're doing if others want to join you. So we have a number of our senior, uh, seniors who meet, meet with set-free prison ministries, which has the courses uh, that go into the prisons. So a lot of these people don't even go in the prisons, especially the ladies. And we do have ladies that go in the prison, by the way, have Bible studies in the prison. But uh, the set-free prison ministry is a wonderful ministry where you get Bible courses into the prison, you mark them, you get back, you answer letters. So there's other ways besides going directly in. And that's a ministry we will not know until heaven all that has been done. Mm-hmm. So, and remember, God has a captive audience there. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting how God uses the military. I've seen this many times. Uses prisons, uses special situations to awaken people from their sleep or their sin. So, so you keep that ministry up. Don't be discouraged. Let the elders know of special needs. And make sure the church is praying for you. Thank you. Good. Question, raise your hand. There's a hand. I see a hand. All the way over there. Kathy. Yes. And he says um, that when the church is one, we're displaying unity. It says that the world may believe that we've been sending. Can we consider that then a unity within the church is like an evangelistic message? Or is this believing uh, that the world would do, is it some, do we know whether it's salvific believing or is it maybe even just sort of a jealous kind of, gee, those guys, you know, I believe that they're 
Well, uh, it's very similar in John 13, where he said, uh, love one another as, as I have loved you. By this, people will know you are my disciples. So it's, it's, it's a similar idea. It's an idea of witness, definitely. And uh, whether the world will uh, all be converted, I, I doubt that. Um, so I would say it is part of our witness. Our unity, our community is, I would call it, the verifying data of the message. So you have a message, but here's the living proof of the message. Here's an interesting fact. And I, I don't remember if it was the Navigators or um, who, wrote, who did his magazine? Um, InterVarsity. One of them did this survey of people who had gotten saved through their ministry. What was it that we did that brought you to Christ? The number one thing was we saw Christians together. We saw them as college students. We saw Christians together. We saw their, they were really different. And that really raised the interest in what, what is it they believe. So it was the verifying data that this message is transforming and has a supernatural power to it. Let me give you an example. Um, we uh, were young and foolish, and we got married on Christmas Day. So our anniversary is Christmas Day. But we never can celebrate it on Christmas Day. And we celebrate it the day after Christmas because our greedy little children want all their presents on their day. <laughs> and now our grandchildren want their presents. You know. But the day after Christmas in our city, we always go to the same hotel. Uh, that hotel every year has Campus Crusade for Christ for training one week. Th- over 1,000 college students. And I've talked to the hotel people, a number, number of them I know from many, many years. And they will say, this is the most amazing thing we've ever seen. 1,200 college students. No drinking, no running down the hall, no breaking walls, no loud music blasting. Law and order, courtesy, fill in the restaurants. And the hotel employees say, what is it that you can have 1,200 college students and not going insane and wild. That's the verifying data. There's something happening to these people. It verifies the message. So I would say this is the general teaching of this, that the unity of God's people, the uniqueness of the community is proof. It's a witness against them. It will be a judgment held against them that this is the true gospel. Now, we've done a pretty bad job at this. And uh, we've been our own worst enemies, all our divisions, all our denominations. And um, so there is a sense in which we do lose witness power. When a church is going through a a division, when a church is fighting it out, the first casualty is the gospel. Mm -hmm. So if you see a church at unity... If you see churches at unity, you see brethren and sisters at unity, uh, it is a witness to the message. Now, organizationally, we're divided beyond, uh, beyond your imagination. We're divided into sub and sub-subgroups. There's not Presbyterians. There's Presbyterians, and there's five kinds of Presbyterians, and they all break into subgroups. It's pretty ugly organizationally. 
there is still a worldwide unity and a worldwide witness. And you see this in the sense that wherever you go in the world, if you meet a Christian, you'll normally not ask, are you a Calvinist or not? You'll normally be so happy to meet a fellow Christian. If you're in the army, we have a number of our young men in the army, we've had a number go to Iraq, by the way, and telling amazing stories of uh, how the Christians unite and how people see the Christians. So there is still a witness although it's rather impaired, but it's still there, that there is a worldwide brotherhood. It is. There's a worldwide sisterhood. And so we have to use that also. So we have to be very careful that we're not always tearing everyone apart. The reality of the situation is we're sinful and uh, we don't get along very well. But on another level, we love all our brothers and sisters worldwide. We know we are one. We are the family of God. So don't forget that side of it, too, so emphasizing our divisions. That's a good answer. Thank you. Bob? Uh, and I'll, I'll repeat your questions for the yeah, rec- recording. Yeah. So, so the question is, um, f- focusing on the local church where you ought to be, um, but you know, respecting and honoring the, the parachurch uh, involvement that you've had and, and how that balances. Good. Well, the parachurch is not the church. And a local church must carry out all the commandments of the local church. And one is discipline. Very rare in a parachurch organization you have church discipline church. Uh, There is uh, the community of God's people. There is the ministry of the word of God. There is the taking of the elements. Uh, There is really family life, family life. You know, there are many metaphors for the church. The one word church, ecclesia, cannot describe the church. not possible. So to describe the church, the multidimensional nature of the church, the apostles use multiple imagery, uh, metaphors, Candlestick, we looked at that yesterday. Um, The flock, the bride. Each metaphor brings a different aspect or dimension to the multi-nature of the church. The most frequent use, uh, the most frequent metaphor for the church or image for the church is family, brothers and sisters. It's a brotherhood. Uh, Even Peter says, talks of the pray for the worldwide brotherhood. We're brothers and sisters. It's a real family. And uh, in a real family, we have old people. We have young people. We have not very unpleasant people. We have dumb people. We have smart people. In a parachurch organization, they just get the best of the best. So if you're with, let's say, Campus Crusade for Christ, they want the best of the best. Nice young people, fresh, intellectual, look good. And that's who they choose. We don't have that choice. We receive all who God brings to us and welcome one another. It's more of a real family, and that's why it's more difficult. I understand why people go to parachurch organizations. It's harder in a church, really. It's much harder. And church seems to move so slow. <laughs> um, but this is God's will, and we, we know this is established by God. So 
we, we must be a vital member of a local assembly. And remember, we're the temple of God. We're, we're, we're the gathered people of God. The Spirit is here. And he will minister in different kinds of ways. He won't do in a parachurch group, which is very selective, very narrow. Uh, we had a man live right across the street from us who was with a very large parachurch group. And going to church was like putting his hour in a week. And then he was full-time in this organization, which is discipling people. And he said to me one day, well, you know, uh, Lord said, uh, disciple all nations that we're doing. I said, no, the Lord didn't actually say that. He said, he didn't? He said, baptize them and teach them everything I've taught you and teach them how to obey. You don't do that. You don't baptize anybody. Uh, And you don't teach everything Jesus taught to obey. In fact, a lot of things you don't obey. You have your little discipleship program. And I said, you'd have to broaden your vision, and your vision of the Great Commission is very inadequate. A number of years ago at ETS, Evangelical Theological Society, uh, the theme for the year, it's usually every November, the theme for the year was the Great Commission, right? So the Great Commission was teach them all things. Well, the missiologists went crazy. They said, wait, that's not the Great Commission. Now, the scholars said that's the Great Commission. No, it's not. The Great Commission is disciple all nations, baptizing them in the full Trinitarian formula, and you are to teach them. Now, here's the key. Not just teach them. Teach them to follow. Teach them to obey. Teach them to uh, to do uh, all, all that I commanded, not your select little doctrines. That's the Great Commission, the full orbit of what Christ taught. So very often, parachurch groups have a narrow little slice. Now, I am not saying anything bad about them. God has led people to do this. But we've, we've had to stop too many of our young people going with Wycliffe because Wycliffe does not carry out the Great Commission. It translates the Bible. Very good thing. We have a couple of Wycliffe people who have translated the Bible. But we tell them. That is not the Great Commission. We want our missionaries carrying out the full Great Commission. We want you to baptize people, which they're not supposed to do. We want you to teach them everything, the full, full counsel of God. And we want you to teach them how to live the Christian life. So, for example, I could give you a fine lecture on the Lord's Supper. Would you like a nice fine lecture on the Lord's Supper? Would you? i give you all the views. That would be nice. But until you attend the Lord's Supper... And you're faithful at the Lord's Supper. I haven't taught you much of anything. I just gave you some information. I want you to teach you to obey that, the command of Christ. So uh, the problem with church, uh, uh, parachurch groups is they're very narrow. It's not the full great commission. And so you have to see its place and see its serious limitations. Now, again, they have ministries we don't have. We can pray for them. Great college ministry is a great thing we should have in our local church too. So... You should want to see the whole Great Commission uh, um, actualized in your life and in your local church, and you want to be part of the full orbit of God's plan, not just a little slice, and be with your, your neat friends and uh, people just like you. So that's why we need the full body of Christ. I need everybody. And um, it's God's plan. I know that's God's plan. I don't know if uh, Campus Crusade for Christ is God's plan. I mean, I know the church is God's plan, and it has the full... Uh, that's why the apostles planted churches. They give instructions about churches. There's role for men and women in the church. It's very important, very, very important. It teaches us how the home is to be run, uh, the importance of the church elders ministering the word, the importance and centrality of the word, the full word, 
all those things can be left out of a parachurch group. So just read your New Testament. Say, I want to be part of the full great commission, the full orbit of what God is doing. And then maybe now, and there's nothing wrong with this. So you might be an elder in a church, but you might be on a committee for uh, Feed the Poor or something like that, or be on a, uh, a committee for um, uh, a radio program or something like that. doesn't mean you're going to do one or the other. So that's my idea. That's good. Thank you. We've got time for about probably one to two more questions. So who do we have? We've had some over here, one over here. Yes, Jane. What is a parachurch organization? Oh, alongside of. So, along, it means alongside of. Alongside of the church, there are organizations that focus on special things. For example, uh, the ministry, I just, prison ministries, it just focuses on prisons. Campus Crusade for Christ. It used to focus, has bigger ministry today, but focus just on college students. And Wycliffe Bible Translator, just focus on Bible Translator. They're actually philologists. Um, they're not evangelists and all that. Now, they may do that, and things happen outside of what the, the rules are. And, um, for example, our missionary in a certain tribe in Mexico uh, translated the New Testament. That's all he's supposed to do, government-wise. But he planted a church, people were baptized, but that's not actually in their charter, and they could get in trouble for that. But we made very clear to them, don't stop here. You, you'd be walking in disobedience. You translated the New Testament. How about translating it into life? So uh, there's a nice church there in a very hostile place in the southern Mexico where you can get killed real easily. city mayor just disappeared one day, and they don't like Christians. A lot of drug dealers coming in and out of town. It's very dangerous. Nice little church, all fresh church there. So what I mean is the Great Commission, the last words of our Lord, gives us the plan. People, you know, people always want to get, what's, what's our vision statement? What's our mission statement? Why would you make up a vision statement when we got it? We got it. Matthew 28. I don't want to, you can't even write a bigger one than that. So for our whole missions programs, Matthew 28 is our vision program. It is the whole counsel of God. It is, it is when you see people saved, when you see them baptized, and they must be baptized, not for salvation, but it's part of the completion of obedience and the profession, our profession of your new relationship with Christ, your new life, and then they are to be taught how to obey every single thing Jesus taught, lifelong job. So, that's what it means. Good. Good. Thank you. Yes, Vern. Aren't most parachurch organizations on the scene because local churches are neglecting those areas? It, it, it might. Oh, I'm sorry. You repeat. That's all right. No, uh, no. The question is. You're the boss. Uh, <laughs> the question is, aren't most or many parachurch organizations on the scene because of the failure of the local church? Uh, it's maybe half true. Um, the local church has limitations, too. We can't reach every prison, every college campus, uh, every Bible translation. So God does raise up believers to meet certain needs. And it's not wrong. It just has to understand its limitations and not try to be a substitute for a church. And believers involved in the organization must be involved in a local church. And that's where the problem comes, that I see believers, like my neighbor, who basically puts in his hour a week so he can say to his people, I go to church. But he has no involvement in the church, didn't even know a single person there. Just, you know, you know he uh, punches his card. 
And then his whole ministry is discipling. And I have to say to him, this is a rather lopsided discipling. If your people that you're discipling in your living room are not involved in a community of the people of God, the family of God, you did a lousy job of discipling them. So I see these rather really narrow discipleship uh, definitions, which is sort of sit around my table. We go over the scripture together. I teach you how to pray and a few things like that. Great, great, great. It's very limited. Let's, let's get the, the full package. It'd be nicer. So partly is failure, partly is unrealistic for the think the church can do everything like this. And God does raise up people, like, for example, he raises up people to deal with the Christian people, out of compassion, that deals with AIDS people uh, in many cities and in Africa. Uh, God raises up people to deal with orphanages and things like that. So the Lord leads people out of the, the compassion of Christ to do specialized works that we just can't get to all those things. So it's both. Very good. Very good. Well, we're going to close our time down here uh, in a moment. Um, I want to encourage you, and I'm not saying this just for your 10%, but... Uh, I'm getting 10% yeah. of the money of this church? That's right. Is that what you said? I want to encourage you to order any book that Alex has written. His specialty has been the Lord's ministry in his life has been to minister to the local church and how the church functions. number of his books are required reading at the Master's Seminary that you will not graduate unless you've gone through these, uh, Biblical Eldership and some others. And so get them because the, the higher we elevate our understanding of how the church functions, um, the, the more we're just going to sing the praises of the Lord in the way we act with one another. So um, they're, they're, they're good, and I think we can get a good deal probably. Well, yeah. the, the, the deal is that if they'd come yesterday, they got a free book. I That's mean, true. how many churches? I don't know any churches giving out free books. That's true. That's true. It's your well, own fault. <laughs> Alex is going to bring the word to us uh, this morning during our formal worship time, but let's pray now and then we'll enjoy a time of fellowship. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of the church. We are the bride of Christ and you have called us to holiness. You have called us to live lives that are exemplary, not just in some sort of uh, uh, isolated uh, holiness, but we live holy lives in relation to one another and in relation to you. Thank you for the wisdom that's been shared this morning. Thank you for the questions. Lord, our, our prayer is that this local church would be pleasing to you and that we would pass your scrutiny with flying colors and that we would be uh, a church that is loving, that is kind, that is prayerful, that is caring, that is evangelistic, that is uh, holding to sound doctrine in every sense of that phrase. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray for our fellowship time that it would be sweet and honoring to you and that our worship time this morning uh, as we continue in a few moments uh, would be uh, just a time to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and to lift up his glory. We pray these things in his name. Amen.